What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. We've got an epic round two interview. Uh, I have the honor of having Michael Saylor back on the show. Uh, Michael, welcome to HyperChange. Happy to be here. So last time you were on HyperChange, just a month ago, seems like an eternity ago in the crypto universe, we had, we, I was, you know, you put your corporate treasury into Bitcoin. I'm a Bitcoiner. We talked about Tesla doing it, thought it made a ton of sense, but was sort of this weird out there idea. And then next thing you know, Elon does it. And he actually replied to one of your tweets after our interview. So I guess my first kind of question is, did you scheme with Elon on this behind the scenes? Did you help him buy it? You know, if I, if I did, I couldn't talk about it. <laughs> one, of the, one of those tricky issues, you know, public company officers can't talk about their conversations with other public company officers on the record. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, what, what is your reaction to Tesla buying Bitcoin? Was it more than you expected? Were you like, holy crap, like we both thought it was a good idea, but I didn't think they would do it this quickly. Um, like what was your, what was your reaction? You know what? We talked about this and how logical it was. And then we started tweeting about it. And then obviously uh, it caught Elon's attention and, and um, he's a, uh, he's a decisive executive, right? And so decisive is good. So I think that, I think the Tesla uh, acquisition of 1.5 billion, it was a, a rational move on his part. I think what we saw next was Square just put out the announcement that they bought another 170 million. And the message of that is that uh, they're not done and this is gonna be a continual thing. And then you saw MicroStrategy, we bought 10 million and then we bought another 10 million and then I kind of cracked open my piggy bank <laughs> and I went and I found another billion. And so we bought another billion and uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you, how much do you have right now? How much does MicroStrategy have in Bitcoin? 90,500. Uh, let me get you the exact number. I think I have it written. 90,532 Bitcoin. That's what we have right now. Amazing. I actually just bought some Bitcoin uh, today, before, right before this episode. Uh, heading into this. I feel like I got to full disclose because I was so excited about this. And it's funny because I feel like we're going to be quoting more and more stuff in Bitcoin, not even in dollars soon. Well, I think um, the last two months have been really, really good. I think February 8th was an inflection point for legitimizing a Bitcoin as an institutional safe great haven asset. I think that's the day that the Tesla 10K came out. Yep. You know, and since that came out, you've got Mellon announcing they're supporting it. There's news today that Morgan Stanley is going to get involved with Bitcoin and support an ETF. There is news today that JP Morgan suggested that people should allocate 1% to Bitcoin. We had the Canadian Bitcoin ETF that came out and they raised $450 million in the first two days. Most successful ETF launch ever in Canada. You saw an announcement of NIDIG today with an open-ended Bitcoin mutual fund. Marathon is a Bitcoin miner, bought $150 million worth of Bitcoin back at 31,000, you know? So all these companies <clears throat> have been moving aggressively. Now they've got whatever, 250,000, sorry, 250 million worth of Bitcoin. Hut8 announced they're hodling Bitcoin. So I, I think you see uh, an avalanche of publicly traded companies 
I mean, there were, you know, there were none 12 months ago and, and now it's one after the other. I think you see a lot of recurring themes and um, uh, as that happens, I think the dam is breaking. This story is broken into the mainstream media since you and I last talked and you're starting to see stories in Bloomberg and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Straits Times and Hong Kong and Ireland and London, the Financial Times. The Financial Times put on the front page of the, you know, of the paper and the headline was something like, is Bitcoin now going mainstream? And the answer is yes. Yes, it is going mainstream. When mainstream papers ask that question on the front page, they're asking and answering the question for you. Yeah. And it to me, it felt like the Tesla moment was interesting in so many ways of like, they're not a fintech company. They don't have any banking things. They haven't talked about Bitcoin. Um, and it is just like a small piece of their balance sheet. And they are one of the world's largest tech companies that seemingly didn't have a stake in this game, but now all of a sudden is playing it. So to me, that was interesting because now I'm like, okay, that opens the door a lot quicker for Apple, for Amazon, for Google. And I'm waiting to know, and I'm kind of curious your take on who's that next big shoe to drop. Because I have to bet all those companies, if they weren't, we're probably talking about it, but now they're really talking about it because Tesla did it. And they know the next time Amazon announces they're buying, it's at 100K or 75K of Bitcoin. So the FOMO, I really think has got to start kicking in for this big tech. Yeah, I think that I think the buy has been de-risks. Now we're still in year one, right? Like year one of uh, of institutional adoption of Bitcoin started. You can either say it started in April or it started on August 10th when MicroStrategy dropped the $250 million buy. So, you know, somewhere between April and, uh, and August. And we're still early. But what you can see is uh, Square put out their announcement yesterday and or two days ago, and they said they added um, 1 million new users or 1 million new Bitcoin buyers in January. Okay, and so, and, and uh, they sold like 1.7 billion of Bitcoin in the fourth quarter. PayPal is paying attention. So now you wanna play the game of Kingmaker. Here's the dynamic, right? Facebook, <coughs> Apple, Google, <coughs> Amazon. Especially you've got the Facebook, Apple, Google dynamic, right? I mean. Google Android is struggling with iOS. Facebook is sitting between the two of them. They've got a, they've all got kind of a uncomfortable love-hate coopetition relationship. If all three of those companies, those big three, because they're all big and mobile, right? Amazon's the fourth, but especially Facebook, Google, mm -hmm. and Apple. Those three, if they do nothing then Square and PayPal are going to consistently and gradually rip away their accounts. The reason that PayPal moved is they Square forced them to move, right? When Square moved, PayPal had to move. Now, PayPal and Square are wrestling with this. And it's possible that all three of the, the big three do nothing, in which case Square, that's the best thing that could happen for Square and PayPal, right? But it's not likely there's that, that phrase, you know, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Well, I, you know, I, there's three. Okay, you can keep Bitcoin from exploding through the entire mobile space if all three of them 
agree not to compete with each other. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen. One of them's going to move. Yeah, I, and you're making me think of Zuckerberg because he copies everything that's legit and he copied Libra. That was a huge push. He hired David Marcus, who was the PayPal guy who was bullish on Bitcoin. So I know Facebook is thinking about, um, and they, I think they were doing some sort of remittance payment with WhatsApp in India as well. So I feel like to me, Facebook seems like a, the most to integrate into their service, even beyond buying some on their balance sheet is, is like just imminent. In my opinion, Facebook has the most to gain and needs to do this. Interesting. Like, Apple's got an iron lock on iOS. I mean, look how much power they have. A lot of power. Google has an has a really, really strong business and an iron lock on Android. Facebook is kind of the odd man out because they they need to have a mobile app that's running on iOS and Android. And they're getting pressured by Apple with, you know, the latest privacy token uh, maneuvering. And you can see the sparks flying there. So how do I upgrade my application so that it is so valuable that a billion people say, swear, you will have to pry it from their cold, dead fingers? Okay, it's like, you're going to take away my photos, you're going to take away my friend, my friendly chats, or you're going to take away my money. Like when, when money flows in uh, to Facebook, then that's going to shift the balance of power. And it's, you know, it's offensive and it's defensive. It's a defensive thing. You kind of got to do it to protect yourself against, uh, against Apple and, and Google squeezing you on the platform. It's offensive because it's a way to, uh, to double or triple your value proposition to a billion people. I mean, what could be more important than giving a billion people a savings account that yields 200% tax-free interest per year. Like, I can't think of something. I also think, you know, the, 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 the wild card here is Amazon. Because yeah. this is a chance for, I mean, Amazon Pay, is it critical? I mean, compared to Apple Pay or Google Pay? I mean, no, right? Apple's, if I was in the pay business competing against Apple, I'm thinking, well, these guys control the operating system. They control the device. Mm -hmm. You better come up with something really compelling if you're going to compete against the company that controls the device and controls the operating system. Well, one very compelling thing is something that doubles every six months. And so compelling. how do you I see think Amazon and Facebook? They're the one, the challengers in the mobile space. I think that Amazon's got their own franchise. They can afford to ignore it if they want, and they'll be fine. It's just an opportunity for them. For Facebook, I think it's a necessity for them. They need to build it into WhatsApp and into Facebook Messenger and into the core. Hmm. Otherwise they get squeezed. I think Apple and Google, it's an opportunity for them. And, and if, uh, if they don't move, then F Square and PayPal just get stronger and stronger until somebody notices. That's yeah, what I think. Totally. And I feel like they're already noticing. And, and, and even beyond corporations, I wonder, now I'm thinking about the central bank sort of theory, or are they just so slow and dinosaurs that they don't even get this? But I'm thinking about like these huge sort of entities that have mass amounts of capital, maybe like some of these sovereign wealth funds. 
Um, what, what's your take on that side of the equation, these other bigger financial players getting involved? I think the hedge funds will move much more aggressively next. The hedge funds were participating. It's like, we have a little bit of this and a little bit of gold. Okay, gold's up 9%, Bitcoin's up 460, 450%. A little, you know, some, we got more gold and Bitcoin. That doesn't really work anymore, right? I mean, you gotta have your head examined if you're allocating the gold, right? Any rational person that can run a spreadsheet is like, what are you gonna do? Well, last year gold didn't work. Let's sell some gold and buy some Bitcoin. So I think you see, I think you see the existing hedge fund players double down or triple down. I think you see other, other uh, fast money that had ignored this story get in the space. Mm -hmm. They'll move next um, and they'll move in different ways. I think that it's inevitable you'll see the sovereign wealth funds. They have to move. I mean, they, I mean, they have infinite money. And if you're, if you're an infinite money, you see the asset class coming and you see it's the best performing asset class. Your only issue is, are other people with money doing this. If I can point to a hundred billion dollar entities that are doing this, then yeah, I kind of want it. And there's a thousand, probably about a thousand big institutions that are in it right now. So I think 2021 is the year that sovereign wealth starts to, they'll start to dip their toe in it. They'll get in a little bit. And I think some, uh, some more of these hedge funds will move. I think you'll see, you know, the number of publicly traded companies double you know, you had two, then you had four, then you had eight, then you had 16. We'll be marching our way through the teens, but of course they're not all created equal, right? Because one of them might drop a billion dollars. You'll see hundred million dollar buys, $200 million buys. Maybe you'll see a few billion dollar buys and, and, and not, not clear what happens next, but doesn't matter really. Big tech will move, uh, the, the hungry tech will move because they're hungry, right? Hungry tech will move. And um, certain players in the, in the system, MasterCard and Visa will accommodate because it makes sense to start to plug in. Like, you know, you, you want to buy a cup of coffee on the Visa network and you're going to plug in a crypto account. They'll accommodate. They'll probably do it under pressure from PayPal and Square, hmm. right? If for no other reason, then why wouldn't you? And I think you already see lots of, uh, lots of big pools of uh, silent money, like um, endowments, pension funds, family offices. Um, they're all rolling in. I mean, I don't know, half the Ivy League universities, I suspect, already own this stuff now. And so they all talk to one another. And as they talk, we'll see that. And then you'll see the, you'll see the mutual funds and the, and the, and the ETFs. Right. I mean, it's it's not the most successful ETF in the history of Canada is the Bitcoin BTCC. You know, I think we'll see an ETF in the U.S. sometime in the next 12 months. It seems inevitable. And uh, you'll see ETF like mutual funds that are accessible, like Skybridge put out one where you can invest for 75 basis points. You'll see you'll probably see some other players amp that up. Yeah, the ETF tidal wave, I feel like it's totally coming. And the other thing that I've been thinking more about Tesla, like from my personal shareholders uh, standpoint is like Tesla just raised 5 billion of stock bought that was cash. And then we bought a billion and a half of Bitcoin. We're probably already up, you know, 500 million, 700 million on that I Bitcoin position. Up a billion on that trade. Yeah, they're probably up a billion. So it's like, wow, like 
this isn't, it's not just like, this is a cool experiment. Like this, the first company that did it, not only did Tesla do it and they pulled it off and they got some heat for it, but it, it was okay. But like, they just got a billion dollars that they don't have to dilute again. So from a shareholder perspective, this was a genius move and we're already up a bill. You know, I'm like, damn, we just a billion in cash, you know, two years ago, we only had 2 billion in the bank. So for us to get a billion free on our capital allocation strategy is starting to be a real game changer um, for some of these companies. So as a Tesla shareholder, I've been like, wow, like this is, you know. And you got to keep in mind that now Tesla has two and a half billion, which means yeah. that if Bitcoin so when it doubles, doubles again, yeah, if they double, they're going to generate a two and a half billion dollar gain, which means you'd be looking at three and a half billion dollars in investment income in probably 12 months. And I bet SpaceX is going to buy Bitcoin because I saw them in attendance for one of your webinars, apparently, or I think it was, was that someone sent me a screenshot. And I was like, that's interesting because SpaceX keeps raising a couple billion dollars. Like if they, they like th when you get to the point of where you're burning capital, um, it's interesting to see how like this is such an accretive, like really materially changing the dilution profile of a lot of these companies if they can get in early. So I think a lot like it's kind of weird if you're a startup company that needs cash to be putting some money in Bitcoin. But I thought that was interesting. The second I, somebody tweeted me that, I was like, hmm, SpaceX into Bitcoin. Like, well, if they had done that earlier and made a bill, then we, they would have had to dilute less. Like, Well, first of all, the public markets are willing to finance well-known entities like public companies with equity and debt and large sums of it. And uh, the cost of that capital, if you're a public company, is, is between zero and 3% or zero and 5% the return on Bitcoin this year is 470%, but the annualized return for a decade is 198% every year. So what you see is any public company that is brave enough and is willing to work hard enough to figure this out has the ability to arbitrage billions of dollars at zero at a 200% return. You just have to do the work. Um, I posted a, a quote by Archimedes Archimedes said, uh, you know, if you give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum upon which to place it, I can move the world. Bitcoin is that, is that lever and is that fulcrum. To, to understand it, everybody is struggling for um, a, a point of stability in the financial universe. I can't put all of my financial leverage on gold Gold, you know, gold is, is 10 trillion and it's sinking and gold miners are producing more. I can't leverage up debt. I can't, le you know, I can't borrow a billion dollars and then buy a billion dollars of sovereign debt. That doesn't make any sense. I, you know, what, I can't leverage up a lot of things. Where's the leverage? And the leverage is in 21 million Bitcoin. There's, there's only 21 million it's a trillion dollar asset class, a trillion dollar asset class at the center of a $500 trillion monetary planet. And everybody's getting buffeted around by the EU's printing and the US Fed is printing and the peso is falling and, and interest rates are fluctuating, you know? And, um, you know, and would you invest $100 billion on a piece of land? Well, land well, you know, land where? What would the mayor say? What will the governor say? There's risk in investing in real estate. There's risk. Are you gonna buy a billion dollars worth of oil? There's risk. There's risk in commodities, risk in real estate, risk in sovereign debt, risk in corporate debt, junk bonds are yielding less than 4%. 
okay? There's, there's uh, return-free risk, lots of risk. So where's my point? Where do I stand on? If I'm trying to create a, you know, the next great city in cyberspace, it'll be built on 21 million blocks of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is that granite foundation in the 21st century finance economy. And here's the simple idea, which is, you know, so you go and you raise $5 billion and you buy $5 billion worth of Bitcoin. And if five other people do it and $25 billion of Bitcoin gets raised, those five companies or those companies are all pushing on each other, driving the price, the, the price of the Bitcoin up. And that monetary, that crypto fire, that trillion dollar crypto fire that we call Bitcoin, it's burning that much brighter, it's expanding. And everybody that joins that network is getting massive energy and massive leverage from each other. And they're all organizing in order to benefit their shareholders. And everybody that's not joining that network, right? They're living in the world where the currency is losing 15 to 20% of its purchasing power a year. So as you join, the um, that that trillion dollar molten crypto core that gets more powerful you're feeding it energy and rational people have a way out that is the that is the fulcrum and the lever you can use to move the earth once people figure it out and some are right people that are buying bitcoin are as more figure it out, they'll realize that's their point of stability in, uh, in a very volatile world. And it's the irony because people think Bitcoin is volatile and that's why I'm not going to do it. But Bitcoin really is your one safe haven against the volatility of the fiat currency environment and the traditional finance environment. If you have the clarity and the courage to look through the noise it's the solution to your problem. And, and so it feels like the more irrational our fiat system gets, the more rational the move into Bitcoin becomes, like with this printing thing. So that's one of the biggest catalysts that I would look at is like, how much are we printing and how much is that accelerating? Like, are we going to start pressing the button for 2000 bucks a month for every American than every other you know, country decides that's a good idea too. How how do you see the the acceleration spi the dilution spiral of fiat kind of continuing to, to accelerate? Because I feel like that's a huge catalyst for this whole Bitcoin thing. I mean, you can yeah, you can just look at, at at true negative real yields. If you roll the clock back ten years, if you could get five percent overnight money in a monetary system where they're expanding the money supply by seven percent a year, then you have a negative two percent real yield on your treasury strategy. That means that means that um, over 30 years, you lose half your money. Not a lot of urgency. Yeah. There, I just parked the money and I have 30 years. So I'll retire before I get- It's like a slow leak. Money. It's like leaking so slow, I barely notice it. It's like, all right, I'll just let that it chill. That is true 2% inflation. When uh, we get to 2019 and sovereign debt is yielding one or 2% and the, and the money supply is expanding by 8% or 7%, you got negative five or 6% real yield, right? That's, that's much more problematic, right? That's gonna cut you in half in 12 years, okay? But you can still grit your teeth. Like in 2019, in February of 2020, it's like, I'm, I know that I'm getting beat up to whole cash, I'm gritting my teeth. People are saying the cost of capital is 
you're getting 2%. Okay, fine. I lose 20, 1 20th of my money this year. Okay, what happened in April? One, in April, the cost of capital went to, it looked like it went to 15% and the yield went to zero. So now you got a negative real yield of 15%. And then it just got worse because I think right now we're 25% money supply expansion. M2 is like up 25% this year. And you've got the Fed saying we keep uh, interest rates pegged at, you know, short-term rates are effectively zero for four years. So mm -hmm. your negative real yield is now minus 25%, which means that you divide 25 into 70. You've got three years before you lose half your money. So three years instead of 30 years. You, so you want to see how fast it's going to go. Look at the mm -hmm. negative real yields in the currencies. And of course, by the way, that's in the U.S., if we're in Venezuela, that negative real yield would have uh, pegged to minus 50, minus 60%, right? When the, in Lebanon and Zimbabwe and Argentina, in those places, it goes off the charts. But I would say here, I mean, it's not auspicious that the Fed decided to take down the M2 money supply tracker on the internet today or yesterday. Wait, really? No way. I, that's what I saw circulating on Twitter. You might want to check that. But uh I think that uh, in the last week, it's pretty clear. Well, you know, we're going to run deficits. <laughs> they did say it will no longer be updated. They it says discontinued. We're not going to update this chart anymore. Wow, you okay. were talking about it too much. <laughs> you know how the you know Bitcoiners talk about how any of ten thousand nodes can monitor the supply, and it's all transparent every ten minutes. And then we have this opposite example of a fiat standard where they used to monitor the supply one place, and now they stopped even giving you that information. I don't know, maybe they'll fix it in a week or two. Not auspicious though. And so bottom line is, yeah, you know, I think that we'll keep pumping three, four trillion dollars of cash into the US economy. And that's against what is, it, it was a $20 trillion economy. It's gotta be less now, 16, 17, 18 trillion. So, you've got a 15% monetary supply expansion that might be 20%. I think that the people that aren't buying Bitcoin, they fall in the category of, I haven't thought about it. It's new. I'm afraid of it. And I'm sure everything's going to go back to normal in six months, right? Everybody's just going to, we're going to get it fixed, you know? Or I just don't even understand dilution. I would say that's the biggest, right? The people don't even understand this concept that inflation's a thing uh, or that like, oh, like there's nothing backing this dollar and they're just printing more. Like people haven't just, it seems like people just haven't thought through that. And that's the biggest yeah. reason. But out of the people who thought it through, I'd say at least 50% are like, yeah, it's worth getting a little bit of Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. And by the way, since we last talked, right, uh, the Democrats swept the senatorial race in, uh, in Georgia. So the Democrats control the House, they control the Senate, they control the White House. Well, and that's and a catalyst, right? If we're talking about like first principles of Bitcoin, the, how much fiat we're printing in theory accelerates the adoption of Bitcoin. So if that, if this political system means we're going to print more faster or it's easier to do that, bullish for Bitcoin, I think we saw Bitcoin rise into those results on exactly that news, on exactly yeah. that kind of theory, you know? Yeah, so we can expect an expand everything that's happened in the past eight weeks. Had, you know, would point you toward expecting a more expansionary monetary environment in US and in Europe for the next four to eight years. I would guess eight years. And that and to I me, that's that, enough to kill the system. 
like you can't pull the dilution back once we have four years of printing and, and, and you get people hooked on it. And that is the, the solution to every problem that happens in the economy. It's, you can't, it's not like we're going to reverse that in four to eight years. To me, this is the four years where the cat's out of the bag. If it's not already out of the bag where we showed that we can just print money. So, so you don't, yeah, it doesn't take much to come to the conclusion that you need to think different. You have $400 trillion worth of M2 broad money cash stock, commercial real estate, and debt, corporate debt, sovereign debt, and the like. That $400 trillion, monet, that's the outer part of the monetary planet. That's, those are all fiat derivatives. They're all cash derivatives. Every currency is correlated to the US dollar. The dollar, if it weakens 15%, drives the weakening of the euro, the, you know, the yen, the won, the peso. And then the only question is, do they weak fa weaken faster or slower? And you can go back and debate it. But here's the, here's the fundamental issue, which is you think you have a diversified portfolio, but if 95% of your portfolio is, is 100 different bonds and stocks and whatever, they're not diversified. They're all correlated to one risk. They're all correlated to the currency strength. And so if you really want to have a diversified portfolio, you have to actually buy scarce property, which means I, I would be a bigger advocate for you buying a collection of baseball cards, buy, buy beachfront real estate, someplace you want to live the rest of your life, buy collectibles, buy, you know, buy Bitcoin, buy trophy assets that have a tangible value or commodities with a value and use to you ideally trophies that have a value and use because they're going to appreciate. And if they're, if they're desirable to everybody on earth, if they're true, pure property, then they'll appreciate the fastest. And that means Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the apex property because anybody on earth can benefit from it for the next hundred years. That's why it's going up 400 plus percent this year. But, you know, the Hamptons house went up by 50%. Palm Beach went up 26%. Typical house went up 11%. Big tech went up 47%. You know, like, they're okay. But really, at the end of the day, every investor has to decide, what is your forecast for the next eight years of uh, monetary policy? And once you crank in that discount rate, that will determine everything else you do at an individual level and a corporate level in order to protect yourself and either preserve shareholder value or create shareholder value, you know, or the like. Yeah. And what you said about real estate is fascinating because that's when I think through where does this go in a couple of years? Where does this trillions of dollars of wealth that's, you know, or like the, the $500 trillion, you know, fiat thing that's leaching into every other asset class. Um, I feel like real estate has got to be a huge winner here because to me, it's like when I make all this money in crypto, when I have all this value, like at some level, tangible real estate where I can live, that's awesome, is is in some way an interesting hedge. So I don't know, just personally, yeah. the way I've been thinking about my structuring my portfolio is like, I want to get crypto, I want to get collectibles, I want to get rare sneakers, I want to get rare art, I want to get rare non-fungible tokens. And then I also want to get a bunch of hard real estate where I actually live with maybe like a bunch of water and food in the basement. I mean, the key here is there's two types of real estate. There's trophy real estate and there's commercial real estate. 
you don't want to own a bunch of warehouses that pay rent that are valued based upon the rents because all commercial no. real estate has a lease and all those leases have a clause which says the rent cannot go up faster than CPI. So all long commercial real estate leases, office leases, et cetera, have a CPI cap. If the money supply expands by 15% and the CPI is capped at 2%, they're all going to have a negative 13% real yield. So commercial real estate for rents is not a safe bet. You might as well own long bonds. They look like long debt. They yeah. got credit risk and they've got duration. It's, it's like the mortgage. Risk. You wanted it like it's not a floating rate. It's a fixed rate. And then you're fixing it, betting that, it, that any dilution or acceleration and in inflation that happens, you're fixed and just screwed. That's why I'm like, even when I sign a lease that's locked in at the same price for yeah. 12 or 14 months, that's going to not be a thing. Like, look at what they do in like Brazil. They'll pay you every single day because the currency is diluting so much. So I think there's almost an entire structural generational fall off in these real estate contracts where they had a fixed rate and it's like bro this is whack like the dilution like you should be raising my rent one percent a month you know yeah so own trophy real estate own that beachfront house on the shore that you will live in the rest of your life yeah because the value and use to you will keep going up in the local currency as the currency collapses i i think you're thinking about it the right way and um i think that uh as more people think about it right i think we just crossed 100 million people that have bitcoin you know, as more people think about it, the light bulb will go off. And I think we'll go to 200 million. And I think within five years, we'll have a billion people that will own property, Bitcoin, maybe on their mobile phone, on a hardware device. They'll have, they'll have uh, some kind of Bitcoin that they custody somehow. It'll be a billion people. It'll be the most broadly held asset class or, or investment asset in the world because where else are you gonna put your life savings where you can take physical custody of it. You know, the problem with um, the problem with real estate is, you know, you own land in California, maybe you want to leave California, maybe they tax it. You can't move a million dollars worth of land in California to Wyoming if the tax rate is better, right? So you're kind of stuck. You know, you own baseball cards, maybe everybody else stops watching baseball and the, and the value of your baseball card collection falls a bit. It's not you know, we don't all have the same opinions about baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and it changes. So I really like a house that you're going to live in the rest of your life because you know you're going to like it. But, but even then, you're taking risk. Will your grandchildren want to live in that house? And if you buy that house in Florida, you're going to pay 2% tax on it every year. So go figure in, in uh, 30, 35 years, right? If they keep reappraising the house, you're going to pretty much pay a million dollars in taxes on a million dollar property. The beauty of a wow. million dollars of Bitcoin is you don't have to keep it in Florida. You don't have to keep it in California. And your grandson or granddaughter will want it because it's pure monetary energy. That's, that's what makes it a compelling part of the portfolio. Um, by the way, keep, keep the Picasso if you got it. Keep the other cool things, buy things that bring you joy and give you immense utility. It's not a bad idea. You've got to live your life, but just be careful about the things that are, that are valued based upon a forecast of the discounted value of cash flows in a currency, especially you know, like, for example, golly, would you want to own a bunch of industrial warehouses in Argentina as the peso collapses against the dollar? No. It's like, you're, you know, it, it can, 
things can always get worse. Okay, that's my, my saying. So you can make a bad investment decision, but you can make a worse investment decision. So you got to think about these things and look out a decade, look out a few decades. And if you look out long and then you come back, then you normally, you have a good rational common sense basis to evaluate all your options. And okay, so last question I kind of got on all this is the mechanics of how does this work? Coinbase is IPOing. Are we going to hold it in a Coinbase? Are we going to have a built-in hardware wallet on our phone where we store it? Is that the future? Like, because to me, this is the kind of business that is so exciting and the opportunity is like, is it Cash App that evolves? Is it Coinbase that innovates? Is it Facebook who we know wants to be this person? But is it like, I'm kind of curious how you see this democratization of like, I own my hard physical assets, right? So is it on a yeah, hardware I wallet? I think there's like seven different layers of it. So it, if you're a if you're a crypto anarchist, like off the grid type person, you would buy it on some exchange and then you would move it to a hardware wallet or maybe you memorize the key or you have it etched <laughs> on metal. You know, you don't trust anybody and anything and you take it complete, complete custody. That's okay. There's a group of people for which that's the right thing. And I love I love the crypto anarchist because they keep everybody else honest right? They keep everybody honest, right? We need we, them. We need them. They're important. Now there's another group of people, you know, maybe I want to buy it on Coinbase and I want to put it into Coinbase custody, or I move it to a conventional, there's a multi-sig organizations, CASA, and they'll like, you hold two keys, they hold one key. It's kind of like not quite, not quite totally self-reliant, but you've got a backup. There is a set of custodians, custodians like that. That's good for a lot of people. Then there's people that will just buy it and, um, and they'll uh, move it into a custody on the regulated exchange, Coinbase custody, Fidelity custody, and they kind of feel like they trust Fidelity. Now, if you have the option to take delivery of the Bitcoin later, I leave it with Fidelity or Coinbase or someone. And then in two years, if I lose trust in the system, I withdraw yeah. to my personal device. There you keep all your options open, but it's not so difficult. Then the next layer is, uh, you know, and, and you could do that with Square too, right? You, ha you have your options open. I like, I like the consumer apps that make it easy for me to buy. I don't have to jump through the memorizing a 24, phrase, see, uh, 24 seed phrase thing. I don't have to, but I could if I want to. That's, that's a nice level. But then you can go on. You could do it with a, a more closed system like PayPal or Revolut or I guess um, um, uh, or Robinhood. And then you've got the you've got the derivative act. You've got the financial exposure, but you can't take the underlying Bitcoin. Okay, why would I do that? Well, you know, if if my hands don't work so well, and I'm my 83 year old father, and he's got a PayPal account, and his choice is do nothing or buy. $10,000 of Bitcoin on PayPal, I would say buy the Bitcoin, don't like leave $10,000 in cash and lose it all. So make the investment. So there's that. Now, if you have money in a 401k or retirement plan, and you can only invest in like a NASDAQ or a New York listed security or something, maybe you go and you buy the ETF or you buy the grayscale or you buy something like that because you don't have a choice. You can't buy the underlying Bitcoin. And so your choice is I invest in, um, in the S&P 500 or I invest in the Bitcoin index. For them, they should, you know, if they like Bitcoin, they should go for that ETF. If you're a corporation or institution, 
Well, then you've got like corporate governance, compliance, you need three different signers. You need to go through an institutional grade custodian that's uh, SOC 2, SOC, you know, type four, whatever, certified with a Sarbanes-Oxley opinion from a, one of the big four accountants. So that your auditors are comfortable, their auditors are comfortable, the board of directors is comfortable, outside counsel is comfortable, you've got all your controls in place. They're gonna prefer, they'll either, they would either hold it institutionally in a custodian or you would buy a fund. Just uh, give me a billion dollars of a Bitcoin fund that's backed by the Bitcoin. And so it all depends. And by the way, if you're a hardcore trader, hedge fund, maybe you want to trade the options on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, you know, or the, the futures and, and you've got different view toward it. So it all comes down to what kind of entity are you? Uh, I think that for most companies and for individual investors, if you can buy the Bitcoin in a way you feel comfortable with and have the option to change custodians in the future, like maybe I have one custodian, but I want to move it to a different one and I want to do it in a day. I want the option to change custodians or change jurisdiction or take custody because that's going to protect me. And then maybe in the yeah. future, by the way, Maybe you have a bunch of Bitcoin and like all the big banks, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley will custody it. And maybe JP Morgan will tell you, we'll pay you 12% interest on your Bitcoin if you move it to us. And like, I don't, I wouldn't take 12% interest from, you know, golly startup Bitcoin <laughs> bank. Not, not, no offense. I love you. And you are wearing Superman suits. So maybe I've underestimated you but I'm not ready to give you billions of dollars of my Bitcoin for 12% yet. But if it was Citigroup or Bank of America and they were backed by the Federal Reserve and they offered me 12%, I might go ahead and move my Bitcoin to them and collect the 12% if I had the optionality to do it. Mm -hmm. So there's a simple rule in life, right? I mean, you could boil down all of business school to one phrase, keep your options open. Keep your options open. That's why Bitcoin is the apex monetary asset, because it is the asset, the property that offers you the most optionality. You can hold it for 100 years. You can move it with you to Switzerland. You can send it to Switzerland. You can put it on your hardware wallet. You can send it to a big trillion dollar bank. You have optionality. You don't have optionality with anything else to that, to that extent. And it's global optionality. Everybody on earth can buy this stuff and they can trade this stuff and if somebody with a trillion dollars in Singapore comes up with a good use of it and they start trading it, they'll drive the price up by a factor of 10. And if you're owning it, you will benefit from their optionality. It's a global wow. network, right? It's the chain is not as strong as the weakest link. The chain is as strong as the strongest link. That is the beauty of the Bitcoin monetary network. Just keep yourself with as much optionality as you can subject to your charter, you know, and your, your corporate guidelines and uh, uh, available law. And, uh, you know, a pension fund has things they can do and, and you can do more than a pension fund. So I think you just got to maximize your Bitcoin exposure consistent with your circumstances. Yeah. And that's really what Tesla got is optionality and the opportunity to do more. And that's why it's been such a game changer for them. Okay. So my, before I let you run, 
what is the next big news that drops? What's the next morning we wake up with? And it's like, Tesla bought a billion of Bitcoin. What's the next news like that? Is it a big company? Is it, uh, I just kind of want to know your moonshot. I think the next news it'll drop is, is you'll see some big investment, like famous investment names, like uh, big macro investors or big, uh, big investors in the market. And then someone will say, yeah, we bought a billion dollars worth of it. Or we bought a lot of it and we're buying a lot more. Okay. I don't know which one, but it's, look, there's, Golly, there, there's 10,000 big companies that could buy a billion of this. There's 10,000 big investors <clears throat> that could buy a billion of this. And there's 10,000 individuals floating out there that could buy a billion of this. And that's the universe. And right now I announced I bought a billion. Elon Musk announced he bought a billion. You know, we've had a couple of announcements of 750 million. So, you know, you got 30,000 different players and there's not a lot of room in this thing. So it, at some point, you're going to see uh, one, two, three more of them. They're going to come out with serious news like that because, because it's possible and, it, and it's logical. I think it's got to be Apple. That's what I keep. That's what I want to happen is like last time we talked about the Apple buying as much as possible, becoming like the Fed of Bitcoin. I'm still like, Apple, stop building an electric car to try and compete with Tesla. Just literally buy a hundred billion of Bitcoin as fast as you can. And you'll make a trillion dollars in five years. And that'll add the trillion to your market cap instead of fiddling around with competing head on with Elon Musk. Like if I, I actually, you know what I mean? Like, and it's almost going to be fiduciarily like irresponsible for them not to have done it when they just hold their fiat. But anyway, that's like kind of, I, I just keep feeling like, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy once you do it. And that's why Elon said in retrospect, it was inevitable. It's like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Bitcoin's up 30%, never going like, you know, since just because of Tesla. So it, it is sitting right there. Apple could raise a hundred billion dollars in debt at one or 2% interest. They could to compound it 200% money. Yeah. And, and again, the infinite, the, the leverage comes from the, uh, the cheap debt markets, the corporate debt markets, convert and secure debt market. That's the leverage. The fulcrum, the place to stand is Bitcoin. And so we're waiting to see which company is going to be the Archimedes. And they're going to use that leverage against that fulcrum to move the world. Uh, you know, and, and uh, yeah, it could be. I think, I think real... real um, the real issue right now, or at least a subtle issue, is um, the, the accounting treatment if you buy the underlying Bitcoin is an intangible asset. And I think conservative CFOs, they're, they're kind of, uh, it, it creates a little bit of pause for them to buy billions and billions of dollars of an intangible asset because they'll have mm. to do non-GAAP accounting on a balance sheet item and explain it to their shareholders. And so if they don't do that, then they have to go and they have to buy it as a fund. And then they have to get comfortable that if they held it in a fund model that they would get gap accounting. And so I really think right now, working through the way they communicate it to their shareholder base and the way they account for it is what causes people to pause before they aggressively pursue this strategy. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, thank you so much for your time, Michael. This was epic. Um, I really appreciate it. Hope to have you back on again. I, I got to give you props, man, because you were out there. I mean, Elon is in. It feel to me what already felt inevitable is like 10 times more inevitable now. So congrats on everything you're doing. Really appreciate Thank the you. time. 2020, 
2021 is going to be an exciting year for all of us. What are you going to do with all your billions? What's MicroStrat? Like, what are you just going to, you know what I mean? Like, what, what, what do you have any plans for like? Uh, I'm going to keep thinking about ways to buy Bitcoin among other things. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Really yeah. appreciate it. Peace out. Bye.